presented. And uh, once again, a very good evening to everyone. Uh, thank you for being here, especially those who are new, uh, who are here tonight. Uh, welcome to you. Can I get you to turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2 on page 1085. Acts chapter 2 on page 1085. It'd be helpful to have that open with you. And when you've got that, then the other thing you might want to open up is the center page of your bulletin uh, where there is a sermon outline. So there's a sermon outline on the center page of the bulletin, so you can have that open as well if you like. Uh, but most importantly, Acts chapter 2, page 1085. And let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We thank you that your Spirit has given us this Word that we might uh, know you, and we pray that uh, he would be at work now as we consider it. Uh, we pray that he would empower me to preach your Word rightly in his strength. We pray that he would open our hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus uh, and that we would respond rightly to him. Uh, and we pray that uh, you would give us hearts that are always so thankful to you, uh, not only for what you have done for us in Christ, uh, but also for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we commit uh, this time to you, and we ask uh, for your work among us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past month or so, a group of us have been doing a superb new course called Life Explored. And the big question that we were asked at the beginning of the course is this. What is the best gift God could possibly give you? What is the best gift that God could possibly give you? I wonder how you might answer that question. Well, today, we are looking at the events that happened on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost, also known as the Feast of First Fruits, was actually a Jewish festival. It was celebrated 50 days after Passover, or the Greek word Pentecoste, meaning 50th. And it was a time when the first part of the wheat harvest was brought in, and special sacrifices were offered in thanksgiving. And every year, Jews came back to Jerusalem from all over the known world to celebrate the feast. This year, however, had been a remarkable year in Jerusalem's history. For 50 days before this, Jesus had been crucified and buried. But on the third day after that, he had been raised from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples on numerous occasions over the next 40 days. He had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. John baptized with water, he said, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he promised they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them to be his witnesses there in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And then 10 days before this, he was taken up to heaven in a cloud as the ascended Lord of all. Now on this day of Pentecost, his followers, about 120 in all, were all together in one place in Jerusalem. And suddenly in chapter 2 verse 2, there is this loud noise like the sound of a mighty rushing wind that fills the whole building where they are sitting. Those who thought about it later may have remembered the great wind that God used to, to hold back the Red Sea, enabling Israel to cross when he rescued them from Egypt 1,500 years before. And then something that looks like fire appears among them. 
Those who thought about it later might have remembered how God led his people in a pillar of fire when he brought them out of Egypt. But the thing is, this fire divides up into tongues and then rests on each one of them individually to signify that God's presence is with not just with them collectively like in the Old Testament, but with, with each person. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they all speak the Word of God. Individuals had been filled with the Holy Spirit before and spoke God's Word. But the, the fascinating thing about what's happening here is this. They are speaking it in other tongues. Uh, the word tongue in Greek and Old English means languages. Your, your, your mother tongue is the language your mother taught you when you were little. And these believers are speaking in other languages, real languages, but ones they haven't learned because the Spirit is giving them speech. And so people from all different backgrounds can hear them declaring the mighty works of God in their own language. People who thought about it later might have reflected back at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Back then, human beings got together to build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. They, they tried to make a name for themselves, tried to disobediently prevent themselves from being spread throughout the earth, and God brought judgment upon it. He scattered the people, confused their languages, because human attempts to build a city, a united society without God, was, was sin at its height. And, and today, the judgment of Babel is being reversed. Back at Babel, people suddenly couldn't understand each other, even though they had learned the same language. And here in Jerusalem, people are suddenly able to speak different languages, languages they don't even know. At Babel, people were being scattered across the world in judgment. Here in Jerusalem, God was starting the process of gathering people from all over the world for salvation. Well, a crowd quickly gathers. Some of them are Jews who live in Jerusalem. Others come from different parts of the world. Like the Indians and Chinese today, Jews of the time were, lived not only in the land of their ancestors, but had dispersed among many nations. Thousands and thousands of Jews lived overseas. But they are represented here at Pentecost because God had promised in the Old Testament over and over again that he would bring his people back from all over the world under his loving king. And now it's happening. The Samaritans and Gentiles later have a mini versions of Pentecost to show they were engrafted into God's people as well. But, but, but today's for the Jews. Today marks the, the regathering of the Jews from the nations. God is going to reconstitute his people under the ascended King Jesus. The crowd is astonished at all the different languages that are coming out. These guys, they say in verse 7, are Galileans. They come from those small towns up in the Ulu, up north. And yet here they are speaking fluently all these languages from across the world. No matter where we come from, we hear them telling in our tongue, our language, the mighty works of God. And the crowd's amazed, they're perplexed, they can't work out what's going on. And some of them, oh, these guys might be drunk. Don't know what they put in the Johnny Walker these days to get this effect. And that's when Peter takes the lead. Standing with the other apostles, he speaks to the crowd from verse 14. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose since the only, it's only the third hour of the day. Back in those days, people who got drunk only did so at night. This is nine o'clock in the morning. The reason they're acting so strangely is because, because prophecy is being fulfilled. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit 
upon all flesh. Back in the Old Testament, Joel had predicted in Joel chapter 2 that God was going to perform a mighty act of judgment on his people. And after this judgment, he would bring them great blessings. He himself would live among them. He would pour out his spirit upon his people. Not just special people like the prophets as he did before, but on all his people like, like Moses was wishing he would. And in verse 17 continues, you see, your sons and daughters will, will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Yea, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Big judgment and then a pouring out of the spirit. And then after that time, Joel says, there'll be a further day of universal judgment. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Do you see that? One big day of judgment, then the pouring out of the Spirit, and that pouring out of the Spirit is also a warning of a final day of judgment that is to come. And Joel also told us the way of escape from that final day of judgment in his words quoted by Peter in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does it mean for those Jews who were standing there at the time? How do they call upon the name of the Lord? How are they going to get saved? Well, Peter's going to get to that, but first, he needs them to understand how all this relates to Jesus. Jesus was, in verse 22, a man attested to them by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in their midst. Remember, Jesus had healed the sick with just a word. He had, he'd fed huge crowds with small amounts of food. He'd made the blind see the lame walk the dumb speak. He'd effortlessly cast out demons, even raised the dead. He did all the things the Old Testament, things said, Old Testament said that, that God would do when he came to be king over his people. And this Jesus, verse 23 was delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God. God was in control of what was happening to Jesus, and he was delivered up. But the people who did this, even though God is in control, they are still responsible for their actions. And Peter turns around and points the finger at those Jews that he's speaking to. And he accuses them in verse 23. He says, you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. You murdered Jesus, and you used the Romans to do it. But God overturned your decision. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why is it not possible for him to be held by death? Because it's been prophesied that he would rise. Peter explains by, by quoting King David's words from Psalm 16 in verses 25 to 28. Uh, we'll zero in on the key verse, verse 27. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. See, Peter says this. Look, this psalm is saying God will not abandon his King, his Holy One, to the grave. And Peter says, like, can't be talking about David himself because David died and he was buried. His tomb is over there. 
David was speaking prophetically, not about himself, but someone else, the real king, the real holy one, the one God promised would rule his kingdom forever. He foresaw, verse 31, he foresaw the resurrection of the Christ. The real Christ, God's promised king, the real holy one, would have an empty tomb. And Peter and the others with him had not only seen the empty tomb, but they had seen Jesus alive. And so he can confidently say in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And so by raising Jesus from the dead, Peter's saying, God has shown that Jesus really is that promised king that all the prophets of the Old Testament have been pointing forward to. The king who will rule not only Israel, but the whole world. But there's more. Because Peter knows that Jesus has not only been raised from the dead, but he has ascended into heaven. Exalted as the right hand, as the rightful king of all. And because he is exalted king, he is the right to rule everyone. And he does so in these last days, that is the time between Pentecost and the second coming, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The miracle that the Jews are experiencing in Jerusalem is nothing less than the work of the risen, ascended Lord Jesus. And the pouring out of the Spirit that day was the first step in the process of bringing everything under his Lordship. Peter quotes another psalm, Psalm 110 in verse 34. Peter didn't, David did not ascend to heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, Jesus, not David, is the ascended king at God's right hand. And so the Father is saying to Jesus in the psalm, your enemies will be crushed. They will face judgment. And everything and everyone in the whole world will come under you. Now therefore, Peter says in verse 36, let the house, all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now for many of the Jews who were there, that everything suddenly falls into place. The life and death of Jesus, the reports of his resurrection they couldn't disprove, the Old Testament prophecies, this amazing phenomena, and they know they've done wrong. God fulfilled all his promises in Jesus, and they were, they were on the wrong side of him. And they know from Psalm 110 that they should now expect God's judgment. So how do they react? Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've, we've killed God's king. And now we are facing terrible judgment. The terrible judgment that Joel spoke about when he warned God's people of the day of the Lord. What, what shall we do? 
Uh, remember how Joel said that people could escape that final judgment? All the way back in verse 21, he said that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now it is clear that God has made Jesus this Lord. And so Peter calls upon the people of Israel to cry out to the Lord Jesus. Verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To repent means to change your mind and start again. These Jews had rejected Jesus before. They'd had him killed, but now they should change their mind and receive him as their king, their Lord. And as the outward sign of that change, they were to be baptized. Remember how Israel of old went through the water of the Red Sea, began life as the people of God. Peter tells these Jews to go back to the water, start again, and this time with Jesus as their king. And this time it would be different, for their sins will be forgiven. All the things they've done wrong, even the murder of Jesus, will be erased. And not only will they receive baptism in water, but they will receive, verse 38, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they won't just have the sign of the new birth, water baptism, they will have the reality as well. The baptism in the Spirit that Jesus had promised that the disciples have just received. And the promise is not just to those who are there at the time. No, 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 verse 39. The promise, he says, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Friends, what an amazing offer this is. These people deserve God's punishment, but God is offering forgiveness, and not only forgiveness, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of them don't respond right away, and so Peter keeps telling them about Jesus, keeps telling them about Jesus. In the Old Testament, Moses had described rebellious Israel as a crooked and twisted generation, and so he begs with them in verse 40, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And how do they respond in the end? Well, in verse 41, about 3,000 Jews believe God's word and are baptized that day. 3,000. And they devote themselves to following Jesus. And friends, those 3,000 Jews were indeed the first fruits. They were the first fruits of a harvest of millions of people from all over the world, down through history, who have come to trust in Jesus, including many of us in this very room today. And Peter's message to them on that first day of Pentecost after the resurrection is as relevant to us today as it was to them. Because you see, friends, like those Jews of old, we too have sinned. We have rebelled against God. We, we haven't treated him properly. The Jews expressed that by killing their Messiah. We expressed it in our own ways. But we all sin. We all deserve God's judgment. We all need God's forgiveness. And even today, God offers that forgiveness to us in Jesus Christ. 
Remember how Joel said there would be an act of judgment before the pouring out of God's Spirit? Well, that was fulfilled as the judgment of God fell on Jesus as he died upon the cross. Even though he was innocent, he died to take our sin for us. He died to take our punishment in our place so that like the Jews on the day of Pentecost, we too can be offered forgiveness so that we can be saved on that final day of judgment when Jesus returns. But there's more. For those who repent of their sins and come to Jesus as their Lord are not just given forgiveness. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to live in us. We may not experience the same phenomena that the first 120 people experienced on the day of Pentecost. We may not hear a mighty rushing wind or, or see tongues of fire on, on our heads. We may not speak publicly in languages that we've never learned. Those, those outward things happened with the original 120 Jews and, and then at special times of God's own choosing, especially when the gospel was, was coming over a new barrier, like, like to the Samaritans who were like half Jews and then the Gentiles were not Jews at all. And Even on the day of Pentecost, we know it happened to the 120, doesn't say anything about the 3,000. But we know that they received the Holy Spirit because they received Jesus as Lord. And that was God's promise. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And again he says in 12 13, in the one Spirit we have all been baptized in the one body. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus, then you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have. You have a new life on the inside. The life that the Spirit brings. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in your heart. He is the one who has brought you under the Lordship of the Ascended Christ. He gives you faith to believe in Jesus as your Lord and to keep believing in Him. He is the seal God puts on you. It says, this one belongs to me. He is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance to come because God by His Spirit is with you now and that's a foretaste of being with Him in glory forever. He is the one through whom the Ascended Christ rules you. For He rules you through His Word that the Spirit gives to the church and through the Spirit He continues to speak that Word to you. And He empowers you to speak that Word to others so they too may hear how good Jesus is and come under His Lordship as well. And since he is the Holy Spirit, he changes you to become more holy. He develops his fruit in your life to make you more like Jesus. But best of all, the Spirit makes Jesus present to you, for he is the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is in heaven, but he is connected to you spiritually because his Spirit dwells in you. So if you have the Spirit, you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And he is your Father, for the Spirit of his Son dwells in your heart. God is in you. God is with you by his Spirit. What's the best thing, what's the best gift God could give you? The best gift God could possibly give you is himself. And the gift of God's Spirit is nothing less than that.
And so, friends, as God's people today, let us rejoice that the ascended Christ has forgiven our sins, but not only forgiven our sins, he has given us the gift of his Spirit. But if there's someone here who doesn't yet trust in Jesus as your king, then please heed the warning that Jesus is coming back to judge the world. And listen again to what Peter said to the crowd at Pentecost. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have raised your son from death and exalted him as Lord of all. Thank you that the ascended Christ has poured out his spirit. Thank you that we can celebrate that today. Well, thank you that the spirit points us to Christ, enables us to trust in him and to come to him as our ascended king. And we thank you that by giving us your spirit, you have given us Jesus. And by giving us Jesus, you have given us yourself. Please, we pray, may your spirit continue to do his work in our hearts. May he continue to speak to us. May he continue to change us into the likeness of Christ. May he continue to work in this, your church. And we pray, Father, that anyone here who has not yet received the gift of your spirit, that you would enable them to repent of their sins and trust in your son, that they might receive forgiveness but not only forgiveness, but your Spirit's wonderful, transforming presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.